0: This episode of Brass Bonanza is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL and Bowl season to esports, you'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code Believe. That's B L E A V to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Today's guest on Brass Bonanza is Alan Hangslaben, who played for the Whalers from 1974 until 1980. Now, one of the things I remember distinctly growing up was that Alan was one of the most popular guys in the team throughout that stretch, always taking time to connect with fans. This was a guy who loved playing in Hartford, and I think that really comes through in our conversation. Hope you guys enjoy. <laughs> Let's start with the beginning, at least as it relates to the Whalers. You were drafted in 1973 by the Canadians and the Whalers while you were still at North Dakota, but you ended up choosing to go with New England in the WHA. Tell me why you went with the Whalers as opposed to Montreal.
1: Well, um, Chris, the, the biggest thing was that you know I had never left Northern Minnesota, you know, and for me to go all the way up into Montreal, I figured at least I'd be in the states. And then the other, the biggest factor was that I couldn't speak French and my middle name wasn't Pierre, so I sure as <laughs> hell wasn't going up there with the Montreal Canadian.
0: Was there any sort of trepidation on your part when it came to joining the WHA?
1: No, not 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 at all. I had, um, spoke with a guy from Warroad that he had a, an amateur or a semi-pro amateur team in town. His name was Cal Marvin. And he's the one that really, really told me and my also the coach that I had in North Dakota, Ruby Bjorkman, that had said, you know, make sure that you probably stay in the States. And if, if you're good enough and whatever, you're still going to get the exposure. You can always go back or you can always go to the Canadians or whatever, you know, but to get there, get established and with a young team they're not a young, they were older than, but with a young franchise or whatever that you would be able to get exposed. And if somebody else could pick you up, if anything mm-hmm. happened.
0: You became a New England guy. You played in Cape Cod. You played in Springfield, Hartford. How much, if at all, do you think that contributed to the connection you seem to make with the New England
1: fans right off the bat? Well, I think, Chris, it was more like a, um, a perfect storm that Hartford, when I first got there, they'd roll the streets up at like 6 o'clock at night. All your Aetna people, all your insurance people would go home, you know, and it was there was nobody in the city. And then after, you know, Hartford got there, you you always had Springfield, you had a team there, you had a team in New Haven, and you had a major team in Boston that, you know, that people could go to, but with their work at or with with work and stuff that they couldn't get away. That it was it was great that Hartford brought you know a team in there and that I grew with the city. You know, it was I was the only um i guess single man on or a single guy on the team at that time so when we come home from the road everybody else would go to their families mm-hmm. i would go to the booster club meetings i would go to the charities i'd go to the cystic fibrosis or any of the other little you know things that you know that i could expose the hartford whalers to this uh, to the people of the city
0: one of the things that uh, Rick Peckham told me, a play-by-play guy, a little bit later on in the 1990s, he was also work. He also worked in the community relations department. He said they'll never boo you if they get a chance to meet you, and it sounds like you had that philosophy as well.
1: Exactly, you know, and it was you know I came from a small town. I came from you know Hicksville, Minnesota. You know it was up in the, up in the sticks for crap's sakes, and people you never meet enough people. You never meet enough good people. And all the people that I met, you know, I don't think that there was a, a, a bad person that I met in Hartford.
0: Best year for you in Hartford was 78-79 when you had 10 goals, 29 assists, a career high in penalty minutes. What was clicking for you that season as opposed to maybe some other seasons in New England?
1: Well, I think that I really, it, it, with the, the Canada Cup and different things like that, that I had got exposure to the different styles. Coming right out of college, it was more of a, like a, a checking and everything, everybody was bigger and stronger and quicker. And it just took that much time to adjust that, you know, and they also went from defense to left wing to protect the Swedes or, you know, to, to, to come up. And, you know, that, that was, I guess one of the reasons why they, I was on the shopping block or whatever, is they put me up on left wing to play, you know, that that's, and that's what Washington needed.
0: There were some stories, and, and I want to get your take on this. Uh, talking to Mark Howe and talking to some other guys on the team, late seventies, early nineteen eighties, there were some stories about the house when they first arrived. Well, it, it seemed like people welcomed Gordy with with open arms, and the idea of playing with Mister Hockey was great. That maybe wasn't necessarily the case when his with his two sons. Mark told me they kind of got the cold shoulder from time to time. What was your experience with the Howes when they were added to the roster?
1: I, I think it was the, the, the one of the best positive things that, that that ever happened to the team. You know, you had the you know the nucleus with you know Ricky Lee, you know Brad Selwood was there, Larry Plo was there, and you know now you've get you know then then there was a bunch more the guys that I, I forget now Freddie O'Donnell another guy or Johnny McKenzie, Davey Keon, you know those were all the, the hardest thing the biggest thing too is going to Hartford was. They were all my boyhood heroes. I got off the school bus and hurried up so that I could watch, you know, hockey night in Canada on Saturday. It was the the biggest, that was the biggest thrill. That was the only thing we could do up in Minnesota besides watch the snow fall, smoke rise (laughs) and watch hockey night in Canada. And to be thrown into a room with all these guys, it was the, first was awesome, you know, just awe, you know, of everybody, you know, and then, and then here comes Gordy along, you know, another, another one that, my God, you know there was he was uh, another idol, you know, Gordy and Bobby Hull were mm-hmm. were my two uh, idols when I was growing up. and the I don't know, I think Mark was always because Mark was a hell of a hockey player. Mm-hmm. Marty Marty would rather be fishing than playing hockey, but he was there was nothing wrong with Martin Marty can play Marty could play the game too. Marty and they were always. Team team oriented players mm-hmm. and guys that they were always you know reachable in in the room.
0: It's interesting about Gordy. A lot of people echo what you said. The idea of hey, Gordy, how was my idol? But when you became his teammate, you became more than a friend to him. And it, it was a lot of people talked about the unique experience they had playing alongside Gordy Howe because you start by thinking, hey, this is Mister Hockey. This is one of the legends of the game, but 10 games into the season, he's just another guy, you know, he's one of your teammates. What what was your experience like playing with Gordy?
1: Gordy is exactly what just what you said. When he was first there, you're going, Oh my god, this is you know, this is Gordy Howe. You know, he's been in Detroit forever, and you'd always you had grown up the game of hockey was Gordy, and that's what you associated it with. And after the first practice, for Christ's sakes, he was just one of the guys, just one of them. And one of the good guys, he fit in, he played, it was a prankster in the locker room. He was a prankster on the planes and, you know, and just an all around good guy.
0: What was that first year in the NHL like for you? Was it all that you had hoped? I know that you talked about, hey, you know, if if I'm good enough, I'll, I'll get there, I'll, I'll play in the NHL eventually. There must have been a level of, and this is true with a lot of guys, there must have been a level of validation that, look, hey, I made it to the NHL. You know, I did it my way. I did it the right way.
1: It was um, my first year was was really, really hard for me is that I was in between Hartford and New Haven, Connecticut. We would go on the road with the big team. I played um, what was it, seven nights in seven different cities and seven consecutive days that we had went west or out um, into, you know, Winnipeg and um, Calgary and Edmonton and um, and then over to Phoenix and then come back. I think we went to, um, after that was Dallas come back. Um, and then I got off the plane, would get on a Cessna, fly to the Cape, play in the Cape that night, turn around get back on the plane fly back to Hartford and play the next night in Hartford. And I think I played 126 games that year without the playoffs so it was it was a good you know like when i got back to uh, northern minnesota it was time to hide
0: that speaks to someone who really must love the game of hockey I, I i and i know that look you know you're a professional and that's your job and that's what you want to do but to be able to have that sort of itinerary in such a short time i can't even begin to imagine what that what that must have been like
1: but that, that's the way it is right now it's been what the heck is it um shoot 45 years since I left Hartford and something like that. And I still, I am still involved with hockey. I teach five to seven year olds every Saturday and I skate twice a week with, a, they call it the the geriatrics or the geriat, but it's really the geriatrics. I call it the geriatrics, <laughs> but it's, it's a geriatrics and it's all doctors and different guys that have, didn't start playing the game until they were like 40 45 and it's just a pickup and the only time that we hit anybody now is that when you can't get out of the guy's way that's the only (laughs) time there's any hitting in the game and it's all in fun which is still great and I've had two knee replacements and a hip replacement and I'm going for my second hip replacement now by the end of the month still lace them up
0: love it I love it I I, it's I I can tell just by talking to you here for for 10 minutes why you were one of the more popular players in, you know, in in Hartford Whaler's history at that time. It's interesting. You were traded away from Hartford in the middle of the 79-80 season, landing in Washington. And I went back and looked at old copies of the Hartford Current After the trade, there was a full page of letters with questions like, how could you? And Alan always gives us all. And There was one guy talking about rallying fans outside the Civic Center in support of bringing you back. What was that like? You talked about the connection with the fans in the Booster Club before, but that must have been tremendously gratifying to be able to have that sort of experience in the community.
1: It was um, probably... uh, um, I still get the worst day of my life to get traded out of Hartford. I love the city. I love the people, but... Excuse me.
0: It's quite a town and it was quite a team. And and that that's one of the reasons the emotion there that, that you have. Howard Baldwin refers to Hartford as the Green Bay of Hockey. It, it's this small, tight knit community with these people who really love the team and, and love the you know, love the community that, that, that supported them.
1: Well that, that was one of the, the the one of the better best guys who were there was Howard Baldwin. You know, he was he was always there. He invited us or in, me into his home. He invited me to his, you know, little Bubba and Becca, you know, were the two little ones. They were, or Howie, little Howie was running around the locker room all the time. We'd take him and stuff them in the trash can and do all kinds of little pranks to him. And he just kept coming back and coming back. And, you know, it's, he... The, the the two kids I've loved I've loved kids ever since I was a kid I guess that and now even you know then then and now um, that the two you know Howard and our little Howie and um, Becca would I've got a picture with them sitting on my knee and or knees and Howard you know like um little Howie's up here in in um, Maryland right now and it's but for them to be around us all the time. And for, you know, what Howard was, you know, like Ella Grasso, we'd go to his house and she'd come over and you would sit down and have, you know, like lunch or whatever. And, but it was just a family. And that that's how I guess that I, I associated my people with people like that, that and it, it was so nice just to be able to go into their home.
0: It seemed like it was also a fun team. You talked about pranks and you talked about Gordy and I know, that he was never one to shy away from a good time as well. But do you remember one or two guys on that team who kind of kept things light from time to time?
1: Well, it was, you always had Blackie, you know, Don Blackburn, which was a complete, you know, and all these older, I, I called them. Yeah. they they were older then when I was, you know, like <laughs> now, that, you know, I'm so, sorry to say, you know, I think four or five of them have passed, you know, that, but, um, Don Blackburn, you know, like you could just remember he sitting in the back of the, you know, the, where there was a, like a couple of times when we had, would go from Hartford to Springfield when the civic center collapsed, he'd be in the back of the bus smoking a cigar, you know, and it was just unheard of nowadays. Right. Mm-hmm. And he had, um, Mike Antonovich was another one. You'd go in between periods. He'd go in the locker or in the bathroom, sit in a stall and smoke cigarettes in the stall. And it was just, it really wasn't, you know, like these here's professional athletes, so to, so to speak. And they were just complete pranksters. Is that they, it, there was no, and right now it's, it's really, really an occupation. It's an 11 month thing where you train and do whatever. We went to training camp to get in shape. You know, we, it was not the, I guess, uh, how it's under a thumb right now, how they, you know, you train and do whatever, but back then, you know, that the summer was the summer and you, you played in the summertime, you know, and you play just as hard as you played in the, uh, during the season.
0: One of the things that a lot of guys have told me too, and you know, we talked about the community bonds is that these days guys will fly to their off season homes Whether you know, usually that's in a warm weather spot, you know, they'll, they'll get away from the city where they lived you guys stayed in Connecticut for the most part. You guys hung around. You guys played in charity softball games. you guys played golf. you guys hung out together. That must have been a great way to kind of bond as a team in those moments, especially in the off season.
1: It, it was when you like when you, you you were bringing in well, I guess on any team you bring in new players each year, you bring bring in new players during and to go back. you know like the guys would come back to Hartford to play in these charity games. And the ones that stayed around, some of them were, were from the Boston area that, you know, like Paul Hurley and uh, Freddie O'Donnell. And I think there was like four or five that, um, oh, craps, but there was like four or five in the, the, the Massachusetts area that would come back and play. And I lived, you know, like here's, here goes back into the community again, is that I lived in an apartment the first year. After that, I moved in with a family that owned a restaurant, a restaurant chain And it was like my second home. Um, She was my second mother that it was because you're still, you know, I grew, I guess. Hartford was me growing up is that I had went from, you know, the home to college for three years and then right straight to Hartford. And it was, you know, it's not only the I guess the hockey and what goes on around hockey, but there's a lot of time, free time on your hands that, you know, that you can get yourself in trouble very, very easily with. And I had somebody to turn to and I had, a you know, it's a, another family that I could like I was going home.
0: Why do you think the franchise still seems to resonate with people? You see the logo, you see the gear on sale everywhere, really where you go. You know, it's, it's still one of the most popular jerseys. In the nhl even though the team's been gone for 25 years why do you think people still feel the need to connect with the hartford whalers
1: well between the the, the whale you know the logo and the song that they had I, I forget the name of the dang song but it was don 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 whatever the heck it is and um i think it's the third um most sp- selling memorabilia within the nhl right now and it's not even nhl but um it was just a unique uniform, you know. And even the when it was the New England whalers, not the Hartford whalers, they had the, the W with the harpoon through, you know. And that was just a, a awesome, awesome jersey, you know. And when, when, in fact, I wear mine to the cap games now, sometimes just, you know, because my granddaughter and stuff, we go, she goes, Pop, where your old jersey. So, and they, when they come up to you, they go, You know, God, that, where, where did you get that? They don't even know who the hell I am, right? They said, "Where did you get that? How? Who, who sold you that?" And but it's <laughs> you have to dust all the dusty the cobwebs and stuff off it and pull it out of the closet. But I still have them. Bob
0: Crawford says he he wears it, and his kids say, "Wow, you know, you you were pretty cool back in the day wearing a jersey <laughs> like that, man. That 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 that's kind of awesome." Yeah, it, going it, it it just seems to be. The whether it's the community and you know you talked about the connection you made with the fans and the fan base and the logo and the song, there just seems to be a lot of things to the fact that hey, people still want to connect. Whether it's nostalgia, whether it's a sense of hey, I remember that team, I remember that player, I remember the song, whatever the case may be, people still want to be able to connect to that team. Like I, I, I just finished a book about the Whalers, and we're not talking about you know, the, the Atlanta flames, we're not talking about the California golden seals. The the whalers seem to have a hold on hockey fans in a way that not a lot of teams can, can sustain.
1: Well, that's why I say, like, I think it was a perfect storm, you know, that there was nothing in Hartford. Everything was just outside the city limits like Springfield or new Haven or Boston, that finally they had somebody that they could call their own that then they got their hands and we were accessible not like now they they park them in their little areas you can't they get in their cars with the smoked windows and all this other stuff and they drive out they don't have any association with the fan at all and I really really to this day think well I know that the fans are the ones that pay your salary and they should at least be able to come and you know and get close enough to you to say hi or, and then that's what you go back to, you know, Davey Keon and and Gordy and Johnny McKenzie. And some of those guys that I would sit in the bus and watch them sign autographs, you know, that, you know, that was Hartford, but yet that was still the NHL. And these were no one guys that people wanted to, you know, to associate with. And that's what the Hartford people did. All these hockey stars and hockey um legends were in hartford and you know the, the people would just come and, and, and just and they were they were uh, just, like i said accessible to the people they weren't they'd snub them and turn around and walk away they would talk and you know and, and that's really what how the people fell in love with us i think
0: alan let people know what you're doing these days
1: I'm a, I've been with the same company ever since I, I left. It's been uh, 39 years now. I'm a general superintendent for a high-rise roofing company.
0: And you're still involved in the game, like you said before?
1: Oh, I I try. I think I can skate. I think I still can skate a little bit. But, though no, it's, yes, I I love it. You know, it's the only game that you can play from three years old until 70, Like or, you know, or hopefully I can make it until 75 anyway.
0: Alan, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today, man. I really appreciate it. Again, this is this is a, our, our way of keeping our favorite hockey team alive. So you, you've you more than done your part this afternoon. Thank you so much.
1: Okay. Thank you very much for, you know, thank you inviting, for inviting me. You know, so it's whenever I hear Hartford, my ears perk up.
0: Hey everyone, thanks for listening. One more reminder this episode has been brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from NFL and Bowl season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE that's B L E A V to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. <laughs>